Apps of corporate and investment banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in the enterprise supplier and development sector. I think the regulation is certainly important, Bruce, because it gets everybody to start consciously thinking about the importance of procurement. Legislation has to be inducive to actually goods and services that are available within that country. Then, you know, the corporates can come in with their own policies, you know, how they look at their value chain and how they try and get small and medium-sized entities involved either as suppliers or potentially even as distributors. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Well, there's absolutely no question that the future of business on the African continent is in the hands of small and medium enterprises around the world. The vast majority of businesses employ fewer than 10 people. So how do we make sure that Africa's small and medium-sized businesses get into the supply chains, get the help they need to become the large corporations potentially of the future? This is stuff that David Mbarutza thinks about a lot. He is Head of Enterprise and Supply Chain Development for Corporate and Investment Banking at APSA Regional Operations. And David, I mean, this is the great conundrum, isn't it? I mean, the rest of the world has got it right and it feels like we on the African continent have got a long long way to go. Yeah, that's exactly it Bruce. Um you know if you look you know globally SMEs um, sort of contribute up to 66% of, of, of GDP, and this is in developed nations, yet in emerging markets, they only contribute about 33% of, of GDP. So a long way for us to go, but you know, I'm certainly pleased with the efforts that I'm seeing on the continent in the respective countries that we operate in, in terms of how governments are going about you know, getting SMEs involved in, in mainstream uh, supply chains, as well as how corporates are also taking a uh, similar task. So long way to go, but uh, certainly seeing uh, positive Positive traction going forward. Who is driving this process? Uh, a couple of key players driving the process. Uh, so, firstly, we see governments really trying to put some legislative framework, you know, that supports local manufacturing as well as local procurement from small and medium-sized entities. So, so that's what government is doing. I think government is also a you know significant um, procuring entity in, in, in many economies, right? So. I think they also have a responsibility to ensure that when they're procuring goods and services that, you know, they ring fence a certain percentage of that procurement for designated suppliers, such as small and medium-sized entities, women suppliers, or youth-owned businesses. So that's what uh, the government is doing. Then from, from a corporate point of view, you also see corporates that's, you know, coming through with their own internal policies that, um, you know, support procurement from locally owned entities. And, um, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of this, especially in the, in the mining sector where corporate that are operating in this space really understand the importance that procurement can use as a leverage for, for economic growth. So it needs to be led by government. Does it need to be legislated? Could government not just lead by example and create a vibrant and productive small and medium enterprises sector that ordinarily people would just defer to and go and get their widgets from, for want of a better word? Or does it need to be regulated and legislated and controlled by government? 
No, so I think the regulation is certainly important, Bruce, because um, I think it, it gets everybody to start consciously thinking about the importance of, of, of procurement. So the legislation is, is important. It must, however, not be restricted. So a government cannot legislate that you need to procure you know, a certain good uh, from a local entity, which is simply not available in that country, right? So the legislation has to be um, sort of inducive to actually goods and services that are available within that country or where there's efforts being made to develop specific industries, then, you know, the corporates can, you know, come in and play, you know, their part on the back of that with their own policies um, in terms of, you know, how they look at their value chain and how they try and get small and medium-sized entities involved either as suppliers or potentially even as distributors of their goods and services. Let's go through a couple of countries, a couple of examples. I mean, Botswana is a leader in so many very, very progressive advances in terms of doing business on the African continent. They've really got some very interesting models from Debswana, which is the state mining company, which is in a joint venture with De Beers, to so many other issues. And they've got a huge focus on localization. Yeah, so, you know, from my experience, Bruce, I've definitely seen Botswana as, you know, sort of leading the race outside of South Africa in terms of driving the localization agenda. Government has, you know, a schedule of goods and services that can only be manufactured by local entities, you know, such as the manufacturer of of school uniform or the manufacturing of school furniture. You then also have, you know, like, you know, companies, the likes of Botswana that have got very strong policies that's, you know, around supporting citizenship owned companies and, and getting them involved, not in terms of just, you know, supplying, you know, small scale goods and services, but actually being involved in the mainstream operations of the mine. So activities such as, you know, uh, drilling and, and, and crushing, you know, those types of contracts, which were previously done by, you know, foreign owned entities now being given to local contractors to actually perform those contracts. So that's really giving us, you know, um, as this Botswana uh, and up in terms of getting the localization agenda right. How big a task is that transformation of an economy, though? Because we, uh, th- there's an old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and for many, it would have worked perfectly efficiently. You would have had very good crushing. You would have had very good supply chains in place already. But at some point, a policymaker says, hold on a second, we're externalizing all of this money when, in fact, we could be growing our own. That seems like a, a massive shift from a policy perspective, and then to put it into practice, a, a huge step as well. It is an absolute massive shift, Bruce, and um, you actually have to have a few partners around the table, you know, to actually get it right. You know, once you know, once the policy is set and, and corporates have, have bought into it, you actually have to go through the process of making sure that, you know, local companies, local contractors, you know, actually have the skill to be able to perform on those contracts. So it's almost a journey where, you know, some of these local companies have had to work with existing foreign-owned companies, um, you know, to get the to get to the right level of skilling in terms of being able to execute, you know, on those contracts, you know, and you know, once the skilling is there, um, you know, there's also an issue around, um, you know, the local contractors would need to be able to raise financing, whether to purchase assets or for uh, working capital, again, to be able to execute on those contracts. And what we typically find is, you know, a lot of um, small and medium-sized entities. Um, you know, typically lack strong balance sheet to be able to access mainstream uh, bank financing. So, so the banks have to come in and, and, and look at different and innovative ways of, of funding some of these uh, local companies that are now uh, in access of uh, supply chain or procurement opportunities. 
Uh, and then so interesting because you have to then, I suppose, go where the business is. For example, in Ghana, where I know that you're very active, about three quarters of the loans that you do make in Ghana are into the natural resources sector. And Ghana, as we know, massively progressive economic system. It's being held up as a great example of what is possible in Africa. What's your experience in Ghana been? Yeah, it's also another country which is really making significant strides towards the, you know, localization agenda. Um, you know, interesting fact, I think in 2019, Ghana took over South Africa as the number one producer of gold on the African continent. So, you know, the mining sector has been resurgent and, you know, we've experienced, um, you know, lots of small, medium-sized um, entities uh, that have got contracts or, or purchase order. Um, and, and these, you know, purchase orders could range from supplying fuel, um, you know, supplying, um, you know, different um, spare parts um, to actually, you know, doing the entire haulage for mine or providing the entire security services, you know, for mine. So we're certainly seeing in, in a market like, like, like Ghana um, an, an increased uh, demand for, for, for significant amounts of funding from, from some of these local suppliers which are operating in the natural resources, you know, value chain. And it certainly bodes well for that economy and the people of that country. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. We're actually finding in certain countries where, you know, they've said, you know, for instance, X goods can only be supplied or manufactured or grown by a local entity. And that message even going through to some of the borders in terms of, well, if you see a truck coming from this country with a good that's supposed to be reserved for local manufacture or local procurement, you've got to send that truck back. APSA Insights. No, it's nice to hear because, I mean, in a continent where often the bad news seems to outweigh the good, um, there are plans being made and progress being made. And you look at the very, very vibrant telecommunications sector in Kenya, of course, Kenya, which is famous for many things amongst finding banking solutions where there were none. And in collaboration with Vodafone, they created Mbessa, for example. I mean, it, it's just a, a fabulous example of ingenuity. And it's all based off the back of a, a very, very vibrant telecommunications sector, which has done incredibly well uh, through the evolution of, of mobile connectivity. Sure, certainly. And, and I mean, we find even across um, across the continent that, you know, the telecommunication sector has been resilient, even, you know, throughout the COVID pandemic. It's actually grown as a result of the of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's a sector where, you know, it's, it's, it's showing strong signs of growth. Um, and as a result of that, we really have to look to see, you know, how do you get local businesses, how do you get local, you know, small and medium-sized entities to, you know, to be part of that value chain. Um, and 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 we see a very strong um, demand, uh, well, not, not not demand, but very strong supply coming through from from smaller type suppliers, um, you know, supplying into the telecommunications. Um, you know, sector in Kenya. I think the other interesting thing about the telecommunication sector is they also, you know, possess uh, large amounts of data, um, you know, be it, you know, wallet usage and, you know, where, you know, um, small and medium-sized entities are not using, you know, traditional banking channels and, and I'm rather making use of, of wallets, um, you know, to, you know, receive payments as well as to make payments. You know, that data could be quite beneficial in terms of understanding the cash flows that some of these businesses uh, actually possess and actually making a financing decision um, on the back of um, or data that's, you know, possessed in a wallet because uh, because of the lack of use of traditional bank accounts. 
What is the role of global multinationals as they move into new economies, as they expand, as they start profiting from their activities, whether it be people like Procter & Gamble or even the mighty Coca-Cola organization, of course, um, which has got a huge opportunity to, to localize in the markets in which it operates. Do we find that they do this? Um, so in pockets, we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, global, you know, corporates um, definitely lending a hand, uh, you know, towards this, uh, towards this narrative. And what we typically find, Bruce, is, you know, their the supply chains are pretty much dominated by um, international suppliers. Um, and be that, you know, they might have a, a, a small supply chain. If you look at a company like Coca-Cola, it would be maybe water, sugar, bottles, and that's the bulk of their supply chain. But there exist opportunities on the distribution side, especially in the fast mover uh, consumer goods sector, where, you know, there might not be a lot of opportunities for, for smaller local companies to be suppliers, but there's certainly opportunities for those companies to be uh, distributors or to, you know, um, play the logistics um, arm of, 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 of the value chain. So we're certainly seeing, you know, uh, global corporates, especially in the fast mover consumer goods um, sector, uh, taking on local businesses as distributors um, and actually ensuring that their goods can get to uh, the last man on the street. Now, not every African country is endowed with an oversupply of natural resources. The DRC has got diamonds and rare metals that are useful in modern telecommunications, for example. We know that countries like Angola have got oil. North Africa has got its huge opportunities. South Africa has got rich mineral wealth in the form of mostly depleted gold supplies now, but certainly platinum is still one of the biggest platinum producers in the world. Um, there are varying degrees of resource capability in each one of these countries. But the one thing that I think every single African country has got going for it is agriculture. And it seems to be the sector where the greatest opportunity lies in terms of enterprise and supply chain development. It is. I mean, uh, the backdrop of the African economy is really around agriculture. So there is a significant upside. Um, Unfortunately, though, Bruce, it is also the sector where, you know, there is the greatest amount of risk, uh, you know, from, from, from a lending point of view in terms of, you know, lending to um, smallholder farmers. And, and smallholder farmers actually make up the bulk of agricultural production on the continent, probably with uh, the exception of maybe South Africa, um, maybe Botswana as well, which are dominated by, by larger commercial scale farmers. But it's definitely a sector where, again, we really have to think how, you know, we can innovatively fund, um, you know, this sector. Um, and it could be by making use of, you know, co-ops and, and, and maybe not funding individual smallholder farmers, but, you know, funding the co-ops that they belong to. Um, also partnering with uh, developmental financial institutions in terms of uh, risk sharing uh, of the lending that we do into the uh, agricultural sector. Um, and I think over and above that as well, I think it's, it's, it's really around you know, how can we, you know, make use of, you know, um, data, um, you know, to be able to finance into the sector. And like I said, you know, that data might be possessed by, you know, other corporations such as mobile network operators uh, to actually, um, for, for us to actually see and validate the cash flows that uh, some of these smallholder farmers might hold uh, for us to be able to make some type of, uh, of lending decision. 
When we look at the, the, the entire continent, I know Africa is not a country. Don't correct me on that particular one. But, um, you know, there, there just seem to be pockets of real opportunity across the continent in terms of developing enterprise, developing supply chains, um, and really seizing an opportunity that exists. And, uh, you know, there are lots of people who want a nice, easy magic wand to wave. And there just are no magic wands, there are no genies in lamps, there are no sort of magic formula for this stuff. It really is putting the basics in place and finding the correct opportunities, funding those correct opportunities, and then really working those opportunities to turn theory into practice, I would guess, David. Absolutely. And, you know, the basics really remain around three key pillars. You know, the first of that is access to markets. SMEs need a marketplace to sell their goods and services. So public sector entities need to open up and, and provide a marketplace for SMEs. Second to that is then obviously access to finance. Once, you know, these local companies get access to procurement opportunities, they're going to need funding. They're going to need money to be able to deliver on those uh, on those opportunities. So the financial institutions need to play a role in helping out with this with this narrative. And and lastly, it's really just around capacity building, right? And where we find SMEs sometimes don't invest in upskilling themselves in order to move their businesses from, you know, small to medium size and potentially be the next corporates of, of Africa. So really important that, you know, we partner with the right business development um, support providers to ensure SMEs receive the right skills to manage their businesses sustainably and, and efficiently um, and can actually grow their businesses from micro into potentially large corporations in the future. I'm reluctant to use the term revolution because it has so many negative connotations, but there does appear to be something of a revolution, at least a revolution in thinking and in some cases in doing when it comes to the development of enterprise and supply chains. Absolutely, Bruce. Um, revolution, you know, we could argue about whether that's the right word or not, but there's certainly the right thinking that's happening around this from a policy point of view. Um, I think corporations are really, you know, starting to relook at their role in terms of supporting the growth of the continent. Uh, financial institutions, like I mentioned, also looking at innovative ways of providing financing and, and, and non-traditional ways of providing that financing. And and from a revolution point of view, you're actually finding in certain countries where, you know, they've said, you know, for instance, X goods can only be supplied or manufactured or grown by a local entity. And that message even going through to some of the borders in, in terms of, well, if you see a truck coming from this country with a good that's supposed to be reserved for local manufacture or local procurement, you've got to send that truck back, right? So this is, you know, some of the, the right kind of thinking around, you know, revolution, which, which, which is actually going to get Africa into the right place. David Mbarutsa, he is the head of enterprise and supply chain development for corporate and investment banking at the APSA Regional Operations. Thanks very much for joining us on this special APSA Insights podcast. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.